This is a Pico Podcast. Pale, go ahead and speak right into the microphone. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I might lean into the side. <laughs> I'm trying to keep my sniffles off the the mic. Well, keep your sniffles <laughs> off, but your voice in. I can edit uh, out your sniffles. Just I can't edit in your voice when it's I mean, <laughs> looking at Keith. Right. Okay. Good call. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I just he just sounded quiet, and I looked at him. I was like, I'm right next like, to him. I, I know. I'm like, he's leaning into me. Like. <laughs> I need to blow my nose again. Oh, shit. Anyway, uh, it's too late in the evening when the pail is sideways in his chair. <laughs> He's allergic to Keith's lack of cats. Uh, <laughs> I need more cat fur. Albert R. Broccoli, lovingly nicknamed Cubby, was an American film producer who made more than 40 motion pictures over his lifetime. In 1961, he, along with Harry Staltzman, started Eon Productions, a London-based film production company. Their first task was to acquire the film rights to the Bond series, which they quickly did. To this day, Eon Productions has produced 25 Bond films, and this week, we'll be ranking them all. Minus one. Hello and welcome to Drinking Geek Out. I am the head of Spectre, Dustin, the Duke, and alongside me is the evil Sapfinger, along with my henchman, Keith, with the Femme Fatale, Hale, who will seduce and attempt to kill you. Today's episode is featuring Dot and Line, Mr. Witless, and Black Acres Fairwind Porter. Abia, as we said. Oh, we're not going to talk like evil Bond villains this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we have Mr. Witless, yeah. Um, no. Uh, Mr. Witless from Dot and Line Brewing Company, coming in at 4.8% ABV, no IBUs. It is a wheat ale with bitter orange peel, coriander, and all natural flavors. If we take a look at the can here, sorry, Pale, I had multiple more cans, but we're only down to one right now. We have Mr. Witless himself, a uh, gentleman all dressed up in a suit. With the shirt and tie, and the tie has like some wheat growing on it, I believe. Those are wheat stalks, right? Oh, uh, yes. He's got some wheat stalks. He's got an orange growing in his face that you can't see him. And he's got that little, uh, not a top hat, but uh, what do you call that hat? Bowler? Bowler hat. Thank you. I think it's bowler hat. That's bowler I think hat. so. Looks like bowler Is, hat. Uh-huh. Isn't that like based on a painting? Isn't there a pa- like a famous painting that... Looks sort of like that. Maybe? A I guy know, in a yeah. suit with something black in his face. But his face? I, I'm trying to th- hmm. think of what it... I'll, I'm going to do some Google. I was just thinking Ajab. I'm looking at Yeah, him. he's got the Ajab hat and he's got <laughs> Mr. Wit, Mr. Wit and Mr. Kid almost. Yeah. So we got plenty of Bond themes here. But he's got a very beautiful blue sky background that he's got going on behind him. The hops that are used in this, if you're looking at the can, it says Saz. S-A-A-Z, Saz Hops, never heard of those. The grains used Pilsner and Flaked Wheat, and the yeast is La Lemond, La Lemond Wit. The name of the painting is called The Son of Man by the Belgian surrealist painter René Marguerite. Mm-hmm. Ooh. He said it was a self-portrait. So it's a pretty cool can. I guess there's a lot of things we could associate with it. So there's the Son of Man oh, yeah. portrait. Yep. 
And that, that looks like an apple on his face. Perfect. But, yeah. but you've got an orange. This is an orange. Nice. As the French would say, the orange. Because it comes with orange peel, coriander, and natural flavors. But looking at it, Pale, you probably don't have your Geek SRM up, do you? I do have the SRM. <gasps> yeah, he's prepared. It is very, Ooh, very, very light. Peachy pale. Yes. Are, are we that light? I don't know. It's hard to um, tell. It's pretty light. It looks pretty light from my point of view. Like a three or four is what I was kind of thinking. So a Dustin's favorite? We could <laughs> do a Dustin's favorite. I think so. Because I think four is a little too dark. Should I rename that Dustin's favorite? Probably. <laughs> 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 Harry's snitch, the golden snitch. Harry's snitch. Take a sniff, Some, pale, all right. before you drink it. <clears throat> oh my, <sighs> that is strong citrus. I'm like right off the bat. I'm getting Bud Light lime. <laughs> like, <laughs> it smells <laughs> what? Or uh, um, Miller <laughs> Chill? That's what I was thinking. Miller oh. Chill. Pale was just transported back in time to your parents' I, Yeah, school. I just went back, <laughs> right? went, like, 15 years. I remember our first beer. <laughs> I haven't had a wheat in so long. Man. They don't make them much anymore. You know, I never yeah. would have thought that Miller Chill, but damn it, Pale. I know, now you're now getting Miller Chill. It. Damn it. <laughs> it's even the same color. It is. Yeah. But this is definitely orange. You can get more of an orange than a lime to this. Right. So... Okay. The orange for sure really sticks if, out. If Miller Chill ever branched out out of lime to other fruits, maybe this is yeah. what they would have made. Like that god-awful Bud Light orange that they <laughs> tried to make. I couldn't even finish one of those. That oh, was so wow. bad. Bob loved it. Shocker. It is so citrusy, man. That is it so is. good. All right, let's try it. Oh, man. Just try to touch your mouse again. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> oh, just drink. Okay. It tastes exactly like it smells. Mm-hmm. Super citrusy, super orangey. Not just citrus in general, but orange. It's distinctively orange. You can't really get much else out of that. It's not like hidden tangerine or anything along those lines. It's very, I'm going to use a fancy word, like aqueous. Uh-oh. What is that? I hear, I, I hear the, the, um, what are those, the craft beer podcast, the, uh, I can't. They're, like, good. they're from like Texas. Um, Is it like good beer hunting or something? No, no not that one. From Texas. Um, the other one. Uh, Three beers in. No, I'll, I'll look it up later. But they use a lot of like big adjectives to describe their beers, and um, try they try to sound Austin beer boys more experienced. Yeah, the beerists. The beerists. There we go. Yes. I was just going to start making them up. <laughs> that's why I said Austin Beer Boys. I don't think that's real. But maybe. <laughs> there is a group that's out of Austin, Texas. So they are Austin Beer Boys. I like that one, Austin Beer Boys. But yeah, it's very uh, aqueous, uh, which is... Can you use that in a sentence? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, this beer is very aqueous. aqueous. <laughs> this be- I already did. Country I of did. origin. <laughs> Uh, Maybe I'll look up that that word. Certainly citrusy if we look at our uh, our little evaluation chart. So definitely annoying orange. 
but as far as the malts and everything else coming in, it's just, it is super citrusy punch in the face. There's not much else that you're really going to get out of this. Uh, three beers in is a Texas based podcast. So I was right on that. Yep. <laughs> it's definitely light. It's not a heavy pale feel mouthfeel. I think we said it was a 4.8. Yeah. 4.8. Mm-hmm. So honestly, this is just coming off as a, easy drinking this almost feels like there's no alcohol in it whatsoever i know that when i go out to dot and line that i usually end my evening drinking one of these as long as they have it on on draft because i really liked it because it's light you can drink multiples this is one can that i have left over from um a cookout i went to so i stopped there to pick up a, a four pack of these 16 ounces i'm like what could i drink in one sitting four of these I only drank three because I want to save one just in case for the show. And it's a good thing I did. But it it's super easy, easy to drink. Because uh, Pale and I were just out there for their one year anniversary. And drinking their uh, their new whale. Thir- whale, whale in the woods, 13% alcohol. So this was a nice one to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To hydrate before I left. Great follow up. Did you have one of these at the anniversary? Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, okay. Because oh. I know when you first, we went there like a month prior to the anniversary, and I had one of these in part of the flight that I ordered, yeah. and I got to it, and I was like, okay, this is uh, very light. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm missing something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because you come after drinking all their IPAs, and I tried a couple of their, like, sours, um, like what they're on the fruit shooters, I think. Yeah. Then I come to this one and I'm like, okay, this is nothing, nothing much to it, but it is a good closer for like, if you're, you've been drinking like heavy eight, 9% beers. Oh yeah. Finishing with this one is a really good choice. For I, sure. I, I had it after one of the fruit shooters too. And it, it tasted weird that time, mm-hmm. but the other yeah. time I had, it, it was good. So I think following a sour is, with this beer is, it can throw you off unless you like cleanse your palate. Yeah. I know when I tried it in the flight, this was one of the newest ones that I had. And so it was fresh on my palate. So that orange really sits in, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you have anything else on your tongue, it's going to take it away very quickly. I know, uh, Jared was out with us. That was, uh, his first time being out there and I was showing him dot and line. And unfortunately it wasn't their most powerful of lineups. And he really didn't like this because it comes across, I think as the description says, like a wheat ale. And honestly, this does not taste like a wheat ale. So it, I think that's kind of the wrong description, unless that's the base that they use to start the beer. But it doesn't taste like a wheat ale. It's just, it's an orange drink. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah, what it tastes added. like. Yeah. With all this natural flavors and orange, coriander, mm-hmm. um, all this added. Added. Yeah. Added, dearie. So... Yeah, it just, the orange is just power overpowering, which is good. I like orange. Not complaining. Yeah, like the, like the, um, the wheat and grain they use is very, like, light. Probably it's, that's why I say it's like watery. It's, it's just like very easy to drink and heavy orange, coriander. Um, it's not bad. It's just, you're not get you don't get much from it. Yeah. 
Well, there is very limited check-in so far on on tap because it's relatively new from what I'm gathering from you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, 62 check-ins, giving this a 3.82. And then we have friend check-ins, but I can't read any of them. It's all us. It's all of us. <laughs> Scroll through here for a second, see if I see any good comments, but so far, no. Uh, Philip had one. I don't know if it's good, but he gave it a 4.5, so it must be good. Big orange zest flavor with some bubblegum nose and tastes. Very subtle spice at the end, 4.5. Jeff R. says, very nice and clean, citrusy and refreshing. Great beer to sip this weekend, and he gave it a 4.5. Thinking they're probably like nice and clean, no caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Ken J said more of an IPA than a wheat. Gave it a three. Is that accurate? No. Yeah, didn't think so. What? <laughs> this guy must have had their IPA, then had this because yeah. no. I mean, we had an IPA last week, and that's still on my tongue. And uh, yeah, this this isn't affecting it, and we did cleanse our palate. So I got. Uh, Frank V said the orange flavor in this one gives it an uncomfortable medicinal quality. Do you do you taste medicine? What? <laughs> I don't know what medicine this guy grew up on. I don't know any um, orange medicines. The only one I used to take when I was younger was called orange triaminic. And I forget what the hell triaminic did, if it was a decongestant or a cough suppressant. But this does not taste like medicine, no. It's probably just to- a buttload of vitamin c yeah to me i was the only one that gave this description when i checked this in and i'm getting hints of it because i grew up on this juicy fruit gum i don't know how often you had juicy fruit growing up but it's been a decade or two (laughs) yeah i was gonna say it just it it took me back because i had to stop when i first drank this i'm like where have i had this flavor before it's like the the smell when you smell something and it takes yeah. you back nostalgic. This flavor, it's just like it took me right back to chewing juicy fruit because it would always lose its flavor after about five minutes, and you have to spit it out and get a new yes. one. I think Dustin, you read some something that said bubble gum. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, but juicy fruit's not really yeah, a bubble gum kind of... flavor. Not that traditional like um, Belgian or anything like that. But at least you got a. A gum buddy. A gum buddy. (laughs) Andrew J says, to me, this was essentially a yellow fizzy beer with some faint hints of orange and coriander. Almost a bit of ginger. Not my style. 2.25. So you pretty much are up and down with people. Keith, you want to, you started, you started talking about your check-in. Do you want to tell us your score and all that? Yeah, I'll go ahead and keep the the same one. I should check it in with my new Bond photo, but, um, like I said, it's like drinking juicy fruit gum, which is not a bad thing for me. But the flavor keeps coming back with every sip, so I don't have to get a new one. Uh, very delicious, light, easy drinking. Love the citrus that they added to it. The orange is not a deterrent for me. I really like it. It's kind of like a little orange drink. Um, like I said, I picked up that four-pack, super easy to drink. So I gave it a 4.25. So I'll definitely go back for this again and again and again. Uh, I'm going to stick with my check-in um, from June 24th is the, the night, one of the nights we went out there. I gave it a three and a half. I said not the biggest fan of wheats, but this was delightful. And I used to drink, or I used to 
mix that emergency vitamin C like stuff in with water. And I am getting this now. I'm now <laughs> so like the medicinal thing. That might be the medicine. Yeah, I've never yeah, used that stuff. So. Emergency like I'm starting to see that like what this that guy was talking about. Because you probably only take that stuff when you're sick, right? I mean, yeah. It's so your body's thinking. So when you're drinking that, you're having the negative effect. Probably your brain is saying, you know, I'm sick at this time. This is what I'm thinking of, and it's. It's like any time I would down. have like this snuffy nose or congestion a little bit, I would just start loading up on the vitamin C stuff. Like you, it's a, it was a a powder that you would. I would put it in water and mix it up, and then I would put like orange juice in it and you really like, but if you drink it, it just the emergency powder with the water mm-hmm. like this beer is like pretty similar yeah it is pretty watered down yeah. I'll, I'll give that to you it is it's it's like drinking water or orange flavored yeah. water but it's still good that's why i put three of these down without even thinking i mean i bet it'd be a great seller like but just sell so much because, you know, we know so many people that probably don't really care for IPAs, mm-hmm. probably a lot of people that don't really like their sours. Yeah, it's a kind of a good in-between, and it's very seltzer-like, I would imagine. I've only had a handful yeah, yeah, of seltzers, very, but... It's probably similar to a seltzer. Yeah. But if we went out there like today, and it's 90 degrees, mm-hmm. uh, 110 heat index or whatever it's like outside, I would sit and drink this out in the patio. No issue. Probably would not drink that whale in the woods out there, though. <laughs> oh, and <God>. a half. <laughs> that one was a little rough, but yeah, I could easily put these down on a hot summer day. All right, to round this up before we swap, Saf gave it 375, uh, and I gave it a 4, and the show average is 3.88. Just to, good. Okay, cool, just cool. to round it up, yeah. <sighs> All right, so for our beer, we have ourselves the... It's the Fairwind Porter, which is a specialty series called Murder of Crows. And that's what Bond does. He just murders a lot of henchmen. Uh, And this is from the Black Acre Brewing Company. Uh, This has 6.6% ABVs and 37 IBUs. And this is a stretch, but I wanted to make it Bond-related. For Sean Connery's last film, initially, was... You only live twice, and he was 37 years old. Then he came back and reprised his role for Diamonds Are Forever, what, four years later? And so then he was yeah. 41. Uh, but initially, the cutoff point was 37 years old. So I thought that was an interesting little thing. <laughs> because as you mentioned last week's episode, that Roger Moore joined in, and he was older than Connery's last yes. film. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, I was going to mention the can. Oh, yeah, we I didn't a, see that there. Yeah, it's a little, little bit of a blurb. A multi-robust porter with a strong roast character. So Keith would have enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good, I must say. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got a can here, and it. I think it's like a, just a basic can, like they they use for all of their specialty beers and, and they just printed out a little label to yeah. say that this is the Fairwind Porter. And then it's, it's like matte black, but it's also kind of textured almost like hmm. where the, uh, you can't see it on this. 
I think but, you have a good view on mine. Yeah. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah, there it is. It, it's like uh, where that little bird is showing is kind mm-hmm. of indented there. So That's you, pretty cool. If you rub your hand over it, you can feel where the bird is. You can feel the bird. Or the crow. And then there's like clouds back there. But everything's black. It's just a shinier black in a different texture. Which is very very, cool. very similar to what we had when we had the Union Jack last episode where if the light wasn't hitting the can right, you weren't seeing what was on there. Yeah. Very similar. Um, For the beer. Yep, that's coffee. Mm. That is a roasty coffee right there. Yep, just hints of like dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the powder. No bar here. Yeah. Ah, delightful. It is. I'd- I do have a, a new color to offer up on the SRM if you scroll all the way to the bottom past all the xenomorphs. Ooh. In space. Oh. <laughs> ah, I like it's it. Roger Moore's leather jacket, I think, is the color of this one. Nice. Yeah. You know what? I'll take it. Could probably <laughs> use Roger Moore's hair for a couple of them, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> it the, was clearly dyed. The, yes, the, 57 the Timothy or the Timothy Dalton in his first step one. It's like, yeah. why did you go dark? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like jet black. Yeah, I like it. Good. Let's stick to that one. That's his uh, leather jacket from A View to a Kill when he's riding around on the fire truck. Oh yeah, what a what a scene. <laughs> what a weird movie that one is. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's in my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have fun right exactly um should we taste this boy or yeah. is that what we're into well, yeah we're we're a little bit out of order but we can manage. yeah we're gonna winging it so it has a little bit of a uh smooth and i've used this description before like a two-day-old pot of coffee mm-hmm. Cause it's almost like they were attempting to cold brew it you know like not really, but it's coffee flavor and something cold. Yeah, it's kind of got like that bitterness of like a, just a black coffee. Yeah. We put a can of coffee or, you know, can mm-hmm. of thing of coffee, throw it in the refrigerator and then let it cool down. Um, there's a little bit of harshness to it. Uh, it's just probably just the roasty parts to it uh, that's making it a little, little harsh. Um, yeah, it's got like a, it's almost like a, if you're like chewing on coffee grounds, it just kind of mm-hmm. sticks in your teeth. <laughs> yeah. There's also a little the flavor bit, just sticks there. Right. It's a little bit like if you've ever eaten like the dark chocolate chips, like out of the bag or you, like, Oh yeah. A spoonful of the cocoa powder, but like the dark, the aftertaste, the powdery aftertaste that you get as you're trying to like clear your palate is kind of like at the end of this one as well. Cause you're kind of just, it's like lingering there. Yeah, that's the really the only gripe I have with it. Otherwise, it's a yeah. very strong beer. Yeah, and to note, we left this sitting for a good 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, as we were letting it. It's kind of t- a good timing thing. It's warmed mm-hmm. up nicely. Yeah, it's uh, it's still pretty cool to the touch, but uh, in the mouth, it's very, I wouldn't say cold, but it's like lukewarm-y mm-hmm. or warming up type of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to it outside of that. It's not as impressive as your guys' beer when it comes to being able to describe the different flavors that come to mind. This is – it is what it is at this point. It is a coffee-ish porter. A it's coffee ki- porter, yeah. It's kind of creamy. If you can see mm-hmm. the head, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like sitting there. 
Uh, very persistent, yeah. You got that? Mine's don't got that. Um, oh. I didn't pour the rest of my beer uh, until just now. Fresh head. Yeah. Kind of like nitro-y or whatever. So flipping over to the untapped machine, what does it say? Pale? Uh, untapped, we have 703 check-ins, a 3.68 average rating. I had two friends that have tried this. Uh, Allison Wolf. Uh, anybody heard of this person before? Sounds familiar. She's met her a few times. She's a nice person. She's a nice person. (laughs) She's a nice lady. Uh, 3.75 from her. Uh, Coworker Chad W. Gave it a four. But uh, nothing, no write-ups, really. We could look at uh, old Bob K. Not our Bob. But Bob says, robust and malty. Works with Harper and Midwest kind. I don't know what that means, but it's robust and malty. He gave it a four. Charlie B, very good porter with a nice balance of roastiness and rich flavor. I will say real quick that I have a check-in for a friend, uh, Doyle Doyle. Mm-hmm. Give him a shout-out because he befriended me and Allison recently, and he cheers everything that we drink. <laughs> nice. Ooh, it's cool. He must yeah. drink every night. Yeah, Or he's probably. got you on notifications. Yeah. Follows you. It's possible. Or he, he just makes it a habit to go into his activity feed and he sees people's check-ins. And so he just goes down. Here's my friend list. Toast, toast, boop, toast, boop, boop, toast, boop, toast, toast, toast. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. That's what I do on Facebook lately. You interact with people on Facebook? I just, I, tr- I, I try to. I just on, like on stuff. Our, on ours? Or under yours? Oh, just my, my personal oh. profile. I see uh, Simon K here says, cold, this is an okay porter. It's a bit watery for my taste, but that may be having it right after the beard tax. Mm -hmm. A pretty typical microbrew generic porter. No frills or flares, but an okay beer. He gave it a 3.25. I think I agree with half of what he says, and I can agree with the rest of the half based on what he said about the the beer tax. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it is, this is run of the mill porter. It's not. There's no thrills or frills or whatever you said. No flair if you want to go yeah. office space. Um, <laughs> but yeah, following up beer tax is rough because beer tax is just so potent and delicious. So I get it. It's a lot of what I keep seeing about a generic run of the mill porter. Lots of fours, just kind of average. Somebody had it in a growler. No carbonation. Oh. That's probably their fault for it not getting it right away. <laughs> like, I prefer more carbonation. Well, don't get a growler that's seven <laughs> days old. <laughs> Did you forget about it in your car? This is a good one. Tony C says, both my untapped friends who've checked in this beer can't make up their minds between a 3.75 or a 4. Can I rate it a 3.875? <laughs> you can if you are uh, you gotta be a, whatever, a giver. Yeah, a giver. supporter. Yeah. Supporter. <laughs> supporter. I do it so I can have the point. 10 round but i don't even use it i i keep it consistent so we can be even yeah (laughs) you got your fancy ribbon yeah dude that's all i care about here's one more i want to mention because this is a good point from david l solid creamy for a porter clean malt note drinks more like a flavorful higher abv guinness would be a would be phenomenal on nitro getting similar to guinness there is it light enough for a guinness yeah oh yeah Oh, yeah. It's just a little more roasty than a Guinness. Yeah. Which could be what the flavors he's talking about. What about you guys? 
I think I gave it a 375 uh, because it is just run-of-the-mill. Uh, it, it's a delicious porter, don't get me wrong, but uh, if you set this out in front of uh, The Lights Go Out by Sun King or the 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 hazelnut porter by heretic or you know whatever pick Mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. pick a porter i do not think there's no way that i could separate this from any other one i could probably pick the other ones out for their you know sheer differences but this one is just it is what it is with that being said it is still tasty don't get me wrong but it's there's nothing special about it yeah, the can says it's a specialty series, but I, it doesn't seem special at all. It just seems kind of <laughs> straightforward. Yeah. Maybe specialty series because they're brewing things that they normally wouldn't brew. Or it's not something they normally can. It's, yeah. It's a limited run. Uh, so uh, I also said 3.75, weirdly. Hmm. Um, and I said it's a bit rough on the aftertaste, but the upfront coffee flavor is delightful. And that's all mm-hmm. I have to say about that. Yeah, me and you at 375. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DrinkInGeekOut. You can also check out our show notes and other fun stuff on our website, DrinkInGeekOut.com. You can also email us any comments or suggestions at DrinkInGeekOut at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast, the Google Play Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a Patreon where you can get some fun bonus content. Find us there at patreon.com backslash drinkingeekout. And now, back to the show. All right. So if you took a gander at our last episode, it was both on the D-Ghost and the Digo feed. We had the uh, ranking of the music. Well, we did something very similar and we decided to rank the movies. Uh, if you listened last time, uh, it was that we had music to kind of go along with these. Uh, but now we actually have opinions on the content of the movies, which I think a lot of, a lot of us will be able to give a little bit more insight than just, uh, oh, you know, that does kind of sound like a Bond theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like this part of the movie or I hated this part of the movie. So I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, I don't know how you guys ranked your stuff, but I broke it down into five categories. Um, where is my spreadsheet? I, I was uh, super into it. Okay, so uh, from a standpoint of did I like this film? How was the film for me? Uh, then the cast, I put that as like a, a standard one. But then if that movie had like a, a really good support cast or a henchman that was awesome or just a weird character involved, they got a knock up. So it made it like an additional thing. So like Odd Job or Boris or uh, the Octopussy Gang, whatever. Uh, the next column was Bond Girl. I rate, ranked the Bond Girls and then aggregated the score. Uh, to make it a one through five. So if you're like one through, uh, let's say one through five, you were a five. If you were, you know, so on, so far, you're four, so on. Uh, then I did the same thing for the villains. And then I took the score that I did for the music and aggregated it down to one through five. And then I took the overall average and then sorted them. And then any ties were broken down by the actor that I liked more. And I'm not going to reveal that till the end. And, and so then that's what oh. the, the sheet was done, yeah. 
And I think I said it in the last uh, episode, who's my favorite Bond, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler if, alert. Maybe you didn't listen to that. So I just went with which one I want to rewatch most or which ones I want to rewatch the least and kind of ranked them that way or if they're, like, stupid and I don't want to watch them or if there's, like, they're just – a lot of the Connery ones are kind of cringy and they don't hold up to mm-hmm. modern times. So I rank them low even though for the time they are good films. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, some of the stuff that happens in the movies I makes me – uneasy <laughs> yeah. so uh, i don't go back to those a lot so i kind of rated them lower jeez i mean you guys put a lot of thought into this i went the top five of my favorite and, and i knew what the worst one was <laughs> i just filled in the rest oh <laughs> uh, fair man i feel like you just take me out of these rankings and just have a separate <laughs> key thing and then that way you guys actually put thought into it but i'm like I just can't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge, not a huge movie guy, so it's like I can't say yeah. well, supporting cast here, and then this actor was in this. Yeah. If uh, listening to our summer movie wagers have told you anything about Keith, he doesn't <laughs> pick his wager until the show day or the morning of the show. Yes, so. it's worked out once, twice. No, not at all. I haven't won, but no, I did uh, win. I did win one. He did. I? I did. Yeah, I won the Marvel one. one? No, the or, movie uh, wager. He wins a lot of things by just last minute. <laughs> summer movie wager. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You did not win the Marvel again. Olympics. And <laughs> exactly. I did that and be like, last I like this winning. character, this one, this one, this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. I win. <laughs> uh, with that being said, I think me and Keith were pretty even on a lot of these. There was a few outliers, but I, I think just by winging it, he did all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I figured he's good at winging it. Like I said, I I have seen these movies like when I was younger. So it's like I remember the character, the the bad guy, and the conflict and the plot of the movie. That's pretty much all you need to know. The rest is just kind of all silly stuff that I don't want to remember. So I didn't go back and rewatch these. I know you guys, I know Pill, like religiously went back and watched every single one of these movies. <laughs> but we've had this on the docket for <laughs> so it's long. two years at uh, yeah, this point. So, so you had plenty of time. I had plenty of time. I'm like, oh, I'll do that later. Oh, I'll do that later. And I never got around to it. So. Yeah, thankfully I did my rankings a year ago when I when you actually watched. I actually watched the marathon from, like, when I first started working from home. I was like, I'm gonna just start watching movies. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna work, but I'm gonna now I get to actually work and not worry about somebody watching like me over my shoulder and yeah. So I do a lot I did, of listening. I get it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these movies are good to have on in the background too. Just the noise, and you can check and be like, "Oh, there's a cool action scene or something." You can look in on. You don't have to like stay focused on because the plots are insane most of the time. (laughs) Yep, exactly. All right, let's go. So the first or last one on our list? How do we want to say this? (laughs) The bottom of the barrel. The bottom of the barrel that we all agreed upon is. Die another day. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's last hurrah, her last movie goes out with a whimper. Yeah, <laughs> there's like two scenes where he's surfing, and they're very the, the CGI or whatever they use does not hold up at all. <laughs> no, I say there there's not much memorable to this movie. So the melting ice hotel is like yes. the one thing I remember. Yes. Ice, Halle Berry, and 
Pierce Brosnan. And I isn't this the bad guy that can't feel pain, or is that did I get that confused with the other one? That is true. Because uh, well, is this the one where he, he had the bullet through, lodged, or is that World Is Not Enough? That's the yeah, that that's that one. That's that one. Okay, I was confused with the bad guy. This See, is the one I don't even he, know who this is. He's a Korean guy at the beginning of the movie that Bond thinks he kills, but he gets a facelift, and now he's a white guy at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. And the other guy, his henchman's got, like, diamonds embedded into his face because he can't remove them for some reason or doesn't want to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this was, was way too out there, far, yeah, way too far-fetched, I think, yeah. The gadgets get out of control with his, like, invisible car and stuff. Yeah, it just got, like, this is not even fun anymore <laughs> it got too crazy it's not grounded anymore it's just like a cartoon yeah yeah i was also looking at a list and die another day has like one of the worst bond girls <laughs> <laughs> like list there's like a couple of them and so like when i made the ranking i took the best of them but they had halle berry like basically off the list they have no chemistry whatsoever yeah it, it's very forced it felt very forced yeah mm-hmm but I, I don't know. It's just this deserves to be the last one because of the, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a, almost like a sarcastic, stereotypical trope, almost in the same lines of like the movie Chasing Amy, where you have a big prominent Darth Vader, black man of the universe, and then he takes his helmet off. He's just a feeble old white man. Yeah. And so it's a very sim- like similar vibe. Like, oh yeah, you were, you know, you were, was it Korean? It was Asian background. Mm. I think it was Korean. Korean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He start, it, the movie starts in North Korea. North Korea. Yeah, North Korea. That's right. Where he's like tortured and beat up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, he decides that it'd be better if he just turned himself white to be <laughs> a blend in boring ass assassin. I don't know. It, it was weird. And then he fought still. It just felt very like racy to me because he like fought him at the end in like a very traditional samurai garb. Yeah, he's got like a whole samurai room like, yeah. with swords and stuff. And it makes sense like if he was who he was supposed to be, but he's just this redheaded ginger white yeah. guy. It's like blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. It was my it was it wasn't very memorable except for the fact that I hated parts of it is why yeah. it was memorable to me. It's good in that it takes the franchise to the end point and they have to rail it back in and reboot it with daniel craig <laughs> like that's the best part of this movie is that they it, yeah. it, it has to start over now because they went too far i almost feel like it was forced honestly like mm-hmm. we have to put a bond movie out or we lose a contract yeah you know does. like a sony has to put mm-hmm. out another spider-man movie or they're gonna lose something <laughs> it's just it seemed like it was a piss poor idea thrown together. We'll just throw CGI at it and yeah, just horrible. All right, let's go to the n- number 23 on our list, which is You Only Live Twice, the Connery movie. Um, it's like his third movie, I think, or fourth, fourth movie. It was a weird intro. And this is the one where he's in yellow face. Like they make him. He goes undercover as a Japanese man. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. It's oh. so... No, it does not hold up. <laughs> right. Well, so it starts off with his death. Uh, it's shot up, and it's like it's staged, and then the whole world mm-hmm. reports on it, and you get like a background story on him, and it's like, is that Bond's background story? 
or not. And then he like they go to Japan and it's it's awful. Yeah. Was it like a base within a a volcano? Yes. And nobody was knew what it was. Like I feel like volcano <laughs> is like very easy to hide a base into. The only the good part of this is we get Donald Pleasance as Blofeld, like the first the first Blofeld sighting, I believe. Yeah. Because in the pre- he showed up in previous movies, but he's uncredited, and you don't ever see his face. It's just like a guy stroking a cat. And now we finally <laughs> get a guy who is Blofeld and like the head of this organization. Yeah, I guess we did forget to mention for Die Another Day. The best part about Die Another Day was John Cleese was Q, and he was fumbling uh, about and doing things like he would in his British comedy. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> I love that part. That was the only good part. But I don't know. Being I think yeah. th- that part was huge because it was like the 40th anniversary of bond. Cause it came out in 2002 and like when he's going through, uh, Q labs or whatever, you mm-hmm. see all of the previous gadgets like lined up and you could see him in the background. That part was cool. Was this the first, was that the first or second one with John Cleese? Cause the original Q, that was the yeah, staple uh, throughout these movies. God rest his soul. Desmond Llewellyn. Is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was sad. John Cleese was I in a him. previous one where he works under Desmond Llewellyn is mm-hmm. in it. And John Cleese is also there, but he's not Q yet. And right. then Desmond Llewellyn dies. And now, now he's Q. John yep, Cleese yep, yep. Is, takes his place. But anyways, to jump back to <laughs> movie, you only live once. Yeah. This, yeah. You live, yeah. So you only live twice. You have your staple. Bernard Lee, Desmond, and uh, Lewis Maxwell, but that's it. Like, other than what you were saying about the Blowfield, cool. Yeah, <laughs> this the movie just didn't do it for me, and it was very offensive. Mm-hmm. Especially with all the the Asian stuff going on right now. Yeah. Recently, it's like no, this is too offensive to watch. Yeah, it was definitely cringy. Moving on to the. Next, not so good Bond film, for your eyes only, which had a very cl- uh, catchy song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was number twenty-two. The uh, fancy things about them was I can't pronounce his villain name, so we'll just keep going with that. After disposing of a familiar-looking face, Bond is sent to recover a communication device known as an ATAC which went down with the British spy ship as it sank. Bond must hurry, though, as the Russians are also looking for this device. On his travels, he also meets Melina Havelock, which is Carol Bouquet, whose parents were brutally murdered. Bond also encounters uh, Aristotle Christotos, Julian Glover, and Milos Colombo, uh, Topol, each of them are accusing the other of having links with the Russians. Bond must team up with Melina, who uh, Melina solve who the true ally is and find the ATAC before it's too late. I remember the first moment of like this movie. I was like, "What the fuck just happened? They're on a yacht, and all of a sudden, everybody's murdered by <laughs> just one person just shows up." It was wild. I, I think it's pronounced ATAC in the movie. Oh. A-tack. Whatever. That's fine. Uh, for your eyes only, <laughs> uh, fitting name. I thought I liked this title a lot because every single one of the envelopes or folders that they hand Bond 
uh, up until this point had for your eyes only uh, yes. as a sticker on it. This is the first time they actually use it. I don't remember this movie very well. Mm. I can't remember. Wow. It's not... It's not ringing a bell to me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the parents dying, and I thought she survived. And I'm like she had something to do with it. <laughs> that was my first. But Blowfield was on it, but he just he wasn't identified or anything like that. This is. Uh, it starts with the helicopter that lifts up Blowfield in a wheelchair and drops him in like a big smokestack. That's the part I remember from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> they lost the rights to Blofeld. That's why we don't see him for another 35 years. Hmm. And they couldn't uh, actually say Blofeld or anything. They just had a guy that, a bald guy that in that gray suit that they don't even show his face. They just jump, dump him in the chimney and say, we're done with this character for a while. He's gone. Because we're not allowed to use him anymore. All right. Next up, number 21. The man with the golden gun. Bang, bang. My favorite villain. Yeah, we got Scaramanga. Count Dooku. Played by... <laughs> Count Dooku. <laughs> the, 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 the villain of all villains, I feel like. Saruman. <laughs> Skeletor. Master Yoda. He also had a metal band. God rest his soul. Christopher Lee. Memorable villain, but a kind of long, boring movie. Yeah, this one has knickknack in this one. Yeah, oh, knickknack yes. is. Nick -nack, yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember most of this movie. It's the only good part about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's not much going on. I, I like the his like little lair, uh, funhouse with like James Bond statues in it, and like a hall of mirrors and all that weird shit he's got. On that island, but aside from that, there's nothing really else happens in this movie. Is there a, a big temple in this movie, like there is in the video game, and you got to find the golden gun? I don't think so. I think no, the golden it's an gun... island. Yeah, That's it's an just island. The okay. island. I was just throwing back to the video game. So the temple <laughs> is in a different movie. That's what I thought. And the golden yeah. gun is not involved. Yeah. So it's basically it was weird because knickknack and the person training they were like in a. Uh, like a circus tent with the mirrors and stuff. And they were training and shooting fingers off with a gun. And then when it actually came down to it, there was like a secret missile silo base on an island of rocks. And there was like three or four connecting islands. And there was like this base in the middle of it that had a switch that just like self-destruct switch, just <laughs> like hanging on the wall. And I think the, like the main squeeze in this one Melina mm -hmm. ends up uh, like flipping that switch or destroying something and so he had to save her also defeat Goldfinger and then also stop the bomb or the missile or maybe it was a bomb that blew up the place there's I don't know there's a, there's a lot of these are hard to follow just by the yeah, length the of the movies don't or, make yeah. much sense yeah can't look too far into those but I think it was like a quality one by Moore. It was one of his yeah. earlier ones, but it's a silly yeah. quality one. Up next, we have coming in at number 20 is Moonraker. James Bond is back for another mission, and this time he's blasting off into space with a leprechaun. Oh, wait, no. The <laughs> spaceship <laughs> traveling through space is mysteriously hijacked, and Bond must work quickly to find out who is behind it all. 
He starts with the Rockets creators Drax Industries and the man behind the organization Hugo Drax, played by Michael Lonsdale. On his journey, he ends up meeting Dr. Holly Goodhead, played by Lois Childs. But she Goodhead. Encounters the metal tooth jaws once again making an appearance. Richard Keel, let's go. The original Star Wars comes out in seventy seven and the Bond franchise says we, we gotta, need to go to we gotta space. compete with that. So Moonraker, here we go. Uh but it's a pretty ridiculous movie. The like uh, it ends with like a big space battle, but it's all in slow motion because anti-gravity means you you move in slow motion apparently and it's it's just really drawn out and boring kind of so it's a, a dc movie is that it <laughs> yeah Zack snyder directs that part Zack Snyder. jaws is, is it, cool though is oh, this yeah. his second movie that he was in jaws jaws yes it says once yeah. again so i'm assuming yeah. does this have like the, the the boat chase not or, in space the, the, no, there was they no don't boat. go into space until near the end of the movie the, near the end yeah uh, no, there was not a boat chase in this one. No, that was probably his first appearance. The boat, the boat chase has the uh, police officer dude. Yes, I was gonna say J.W. <laughs> Peppers in the boat chase. Oh and yes, that yes, is live and let die. Okay, yeah. Okay, um, Jaws. There was another one. Um, is an earlier uh, more film. I think it was. He's in the Spy Who Loved Me. Oh Jaws. yeah, yeah, yeah. Spy love me. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And that I think that's where the temple is, because uh, they go to Egypt in that one, and Jaws chases him around. But yeah, that's okay. about it. Like Jaws dies at the end, but does he die because he's so powerful? Oh well. There Falls in love with that little girl. Yeah. Good for <laughs> Rich. Good for Richard fucking Keel. Not often <laughs> that a henchman gets like uh, their own storyline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number nineteen on our list. Octopussy. <gasps> oh, you might have to your mouth. Watch yeah, you'll have, We're gonna you'll bleep have this to out. bleep that out. We'll bleep, bleep this out. Bleep that out. I'll bleep every other word because of the name of this one. James <laughs> Beep. Next finish. Beep. <laughs> uh, James Bond's next mission sends him to the circus. A British agent was murdered and found holding onto a priceless Fabergé, Fabergé egg. Kamal I Khan. Remember when those were like a big deal? Yeah, <laughs> they were like in everything in the eighties. And... Uh huh. Uh, Kamal Khan, played by Louis Jordan, buys the egg at an auction, and but Bond becomes suspicious when Khan meets up with Russian General Orlov, played by Stephen Burkoff. Bond soon finds out that Khan's and Orlov's plan is to blow up a nuclear device. On a U.S. Air Force base, Bond teams up with a circus group, which are headed by the beautiful Octopussy, played by Maud Adams, who is also a close friend of Khan. Khan. <laughs> it's her second film too. She was in uh, from Russia? Russia with Love, I think. That sounds right. As like a side character. Now she's the main. Hustle in this one. I don't really remember too much of this one. I remember I her. Watched it recently, and it uh, it it dropped on my list because I was really bored by it because I had it much higher initially. But like nothing really happens in it. He goes to the circus at one point and gets shot out of a cannon because <laughs> it's like Octopussy and the Flying Circus or some shit. Yeah, 
And then there, there is a cool scene at the end where, like, they, the whole circus breaks into the villain's lair, and there's a huge, like, fight between the circus people and all the bad guys. <laughs> but that's about it. Uh, number 18, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, I like this movie because of the henchmen, but other than that, it's dumb. So this one, James Bond, <laughs> this is the last Connery film, and it starts to get ridiculous again. His mission is to find out who has been smuggling diamonds, which are not reappearing. He adopts the identity of Peter Franks, joins up with Tiffany Case, played by Jill St. John, and acts as if he is smuggling diamonds, but everyone is hungry for these diamonds. He also has to avoid Mr. Wint, Bruce Glover, and Mr. Kid, Putter Smith, the dangerous couple who do not leave anyone in their way. And Blofeld, Charles Gray, isn't out of the question. He may have changed his looks, but he is linked with the heist, and if he is, he can... If he is, can Bond finally defeat his ultimate enemy? Dun, dun, no. dun. Yeah, I remember this one was like what in uh, Vegas, right? Yes, yeah, at a at a casino tower. It wasn't just basically the casino; it was just here at this tower, and he had to get to the penthouse. It was very diehard. How can I find where I need to go mm-hmm. without a, with avoiding everybody? Mister Went, Mister Kid, yeah. We got Crispin Glover's dad and whoever Putter Smith is. <laughs> Uh, is this the one where uh, Tiffany Case and him are on a boat at the end and there's like a a cake that explodes? Yes, <laughs> it is. For fuck's sake. Because <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid pop back up and they, they're they room service now and they deliver him a cake and then he throws them both overboard. <laughs> Jeez, so bad. Yeah, it, it's a dumb one, but I don't know. I, I enjoy those two characters just because they're so weird and they don't fit in any of this franchise at all. I I like them for that. Re- I know they're ridiculous. That's what I like about them. <laughs> yeah. Next, we have number 17 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. George Ladsenby steps into the role of James Bond and is sent on his first mission for help with Mark Ang Draco, Gabriel Frizzetti. He must become very close friends with his daughter, Tracy, played by Dom Diana Rigg, and heads off to hunt down Ernest Stavro Blofield, Telly Savas, Blofield, one more time. This takes him to Switzerland, where he must pose as Sir Hilary Bray to find the secret plan of Blofield. The facility is covered with Blofield's guards, as well as his henchwoman, Irma Bunt, played by Isle Stepat. And what does Blofield have in mind this time? Can Bond keep up his act for much longer? Are any Bond girls safe? Um, Who this is one, George Lansby? The best, <laughs> the, the best Bond. <laughs> I think the the best part about this movie was when he first arrives as Sir Hilary Bray, and he basically gets accosted and also sexually harassed by all the female workers there. Yes. And he's it's just like very like I don't know if I want to do that. And then all of a sudden he's like, "Yeah, I'm James Bond. What's up? <laughs> Let's get all these girls." And then he's like he used that as kind of like his 
yeah, no, I, I did that so I could talk to each individual, one of these girls. I wanted to get all the information I could, but he didn't do any talking. No. He falls in love with Tracy at the beginning of this movie, uh, quits the double O, he quits MI6, he retires. Um, but then he finds the whereabouts of Blofeld and like goes in for one last job and then sleeps with all these ladies, even though he's in love with this other person. And he gets married to her too. Yeah. And then she dies. dies. Imagine that. But yeah, there's a lot of skiing. I think this is the first skiing yeah. film. Where you see that uh, Bond is pretty good on this on the skis, is that one of those talents that Bond has that we didn't really know? Yeah, I think every Bond has skied at some point. Yeah, I don't remember Connery skiing though. He definitely skied in one of the cold opens, I believe. Oh well, then my assumption was wrong. He's but not the first skier. Half of this movie is skiing. <laughs> yeah, it it's is. all like in those alps or whatever switzerland and he's he's fighting stormtroopers because they all suck at shooting there's like several <laughs> mm-hmm. times where george lansby just like fell over as he landed on the on the like he jumped off of something landed he just like plopped over in the snow and then they could be like there you go end of movie but and there's like a 10 minute bobsled scene as if any bobsled track is that long. <laughs> like it goes on forever. It's recycled footage. Probably this goes over. <laughs> and next up we got the spy who loved me at number 16. James Bond is back again. And his new mission is to find out how a Royal Navy Polaris submarine holding 16 nuclear warheads simply disappeared while on patrol, Bond joins Mayor Anya Amasova, which is played by Barbara Bach, and takes on a web-handed mastermind known as Carl Stromberg, or Kurt Jorgensen, as well as his henchman, Jaws, Richard fucking Keel, let's go, who has a mouthful of metal teeth. Bond must track down the location of the missing submarine before the warheads are fired. Uh, this one is definitely stress-inducing. I think this is like one of the first ones that I watched where I got the the feeling of anxiety for the plot. Whereas, like a lot of the American movies are kind of like, oh yeah, they get, do this, oh they got to solve this. Oh, they got to do this thing. And then you have someone in, like stopping them from doing that. And it's just, I never got that before with mm-hmm. any of the Bond films because it just seemed like he knows he, how to do everything and he's never in trouble. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has a goal, but the entire fucking movie is him doing something else. And then he gets back to the, the main <laughs> exactly. mission. And th- this one, it, se- it seemed like pretty on point. Like you have one goal, you have to get there. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's like a buildup of, like what's uh, what's going to happen? Or at least I felt that way. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like Jaws gave him a real problem. This was Pale's favorite, so I'm curious what he has to say. <laughs> I would I would tell you, but I don't remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> you listed it as number one. <laughs> I I did that a year ago when I ranked these, and uh, I only seen these movies one time. Well. I would I mean, imagine it would be Jaws in a boat scene because you brought that up already. So right. Like, I'm assuming that would be your favorite part. I think I mentioned that in a, a text, like when we were all watching this. Like, he reminds me of the uh, 
Superman from like Superman Two, the Zod. Not the <laughs> not one Zod, the, but the guy the, that Zod's um, with. The yeah, tall I can't remember what guy. his yeah. name was, but he like couldn't speak. He couldn't figure out any of his powers. He was just like like stupid, basically. He's stupid, <laughs> stupid and strong. He's stupid and strong. And Jaws just reminded me of, and it's the same. It was in the seventies, but I just liked him like biting into everything. And yeah, there is a boat. There's yeah, there's a boat scene in Live and Let Die. That's a different boat scene than the one in this one where the boat like is being destroyed and there's, he's like only in like a little piece of the boat left by the end of it. I think I know like there was for me there, I think there was just enough uh, action and intense, tense scenes that I enjoyed it. Like overall, like I thought it was like the best movie and it was like peak Roger Moore in my opinion. Yeah, probably I, I, I do. I was planning to go back and watch some of my favorite ones. And this kind of came, <laughs> Bond Month came up a little bit quicker than I was anticipating. <laughs> All right, next we have number, oh, that's weird. Oh, these are tied. That's why. It says 16, 14, 15. But they both, so I'll, I'll, let me talk about all these. So for, for tied for 14, <laughs> we have Live and Let Die and The Living Daylights in... Live and let die. Several British agents have been murdered, and James Bond is sent to New Orleans to investigate these mysterious deaths. Mister Big, played by Yafet Koto, comes to his comes to his knowledge, who is self producing heroin. Okay, that that's not a sentence. <laughs> that's not a sentence. <laughs> at all. Comes to his senses. That, that doesn't even make sense either. Anyway, he's producing heroin. So. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Big um, Kananga uh, is producing heroin. Along his journey, he meets Tihi, who has a claw for a hand, Baron Semedi, the voodoo master, and Solitaire, a tarot card reader. Bond must travel to New Orleans, I said that already, and deep into the bayou. Tihi. And then we get some J.W. Pepper action. This is one where they have, like, the introduction uh where the the funeral procession yes where they just kind of walk into the streets murder somebody pick up the body in the casket and keep going they pick up the body in a way that's not possible they put the casket over the top of them and then pick up the casket and somehow lift up the body yeah Yeah, how does that work (laughs) it's a magic trick it's like a latch underneath where it just kind of like closes the door yeah it gets stuck it's got a claw in there, and it grabs the guy. <laughs> just, well, T's got a claw hand. Just picks him up. <laughs> Grab my claw hand. Grab my claw hand. <laughs> oh, Chris Elliott's a gem. In the end, James Bond shoves a sh- shark inflating pellet into Mr. Big's mouth and blows him up like a balloon, as you would expect. Perfect sense. But at least uh, Baron Samity, whatever, however you pronounce his name in this, but he's the guy that's in the temple in the video game and has the golden mm. gun, and you got to yes. get from, and he's always going <laughs> laughing at you, and you got to shoot him four hundred times. Well, he dies like twice in this movie, and he's still in the end credits. No, like, <laughs> I mean, pops back up. He can't really die, Samandi. Yeah, it's not. An, it's not a person. He's a voodoo master. Yeah. Um, oh, and all tied with this is the Living Daylights, James Bond. This is the uh, Dalton's first outing, 
When the general is recaptured, Bond heads off to find why an ally of General Koskov was sent to murder him. Bond's mission continues, takes him to Afghanistan, where he must confront the arms dealer known as Brad Whitaker. Played by Joe Don Baker, everything eventually reveals itself to Bond. Brad Whitaker, what a scary villain name. (laughs) (laughs) And then Joe Don Baker comes back in in the Pierce Brosnan movies as, like, Bond's friend. Jack character. Jack Wade. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Jimbo. Hey, Jimbo. (laughs) Murray. Very, like, peppery character to me. Just like that big, jovial dude. Not in this movie. He's a bad guy. Yeah, he's a... But they kill him with his toys in... Like whatever he's like that like hidden yeah, gun. Yeah, he's got on like that little... war, or he's got like all those wax figures, and then like a big play set or like yeah. map with all those figures on it. It's ridiculous. Um. All right, number. What is it? Fourteen Thir- now. Thirteen. Now? I think we're Thirteen now. Thunderball. This is one Balls. of the first ones I remember seeing. It was interesting. Uh, the intro sucks. Or it's good, but it sucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, James Bond continues on his fourth mission with his aim to recover two stolen warheads. And always warheads. Of course, this is written during the Cold War, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, they have been taken by the evil Spectre uh, organization. The world is held hostage and Bond heads to Nassau, the Bahamas. Here, he meets with the beautiful Domino, uh, which is Claudine Auger, and is for I think her last name is Vitali, I do believe, and is forced into a thrilling confrontation with Spectre, Agent mm-hmm. Emilio Largo, Adolfo Silly, which is number two. On board his boat, the Disco Valente, will 007 prevent the killing of millions of innocent victims? No. This one was yes. weird because there was like an underwater battle scene. That's everything leading up to that is good. And then that yeah. scene is there's no way to know what's happening. There's right. just a million people swimming around <laughs> shooting harpoons at each other. <laughs> you don't know who's good, you don't know who's bad, you don't know like and it's slow because they're all swimming, so it's it, yeah. But everything else is cool. Uh Largo, he Emilio Largo he was the patch guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had a shark pet. Yeah. Uh, which was a really fun scene because he uh, finally used, or it seemed like he finally used like a gadget that wasn't meant for killing people that Q made, which was that breathable tube that gave him four minutes of extra the rebreather. Breath. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed bits of this film uh, quite a bit. Um just like the the pervy lines by Sean Connery can go away, like mm-hmm. when he goes back to the hotel and one of the agents uh, that he's working against is in his hotel room taking a like a bath, and she's like, "You were in the wrong room." He looks at her like up and down. No, I guess I'm in the right room. <laughs> she's like, "Can you hand me <laughs> a towel?" And he hands her like a wash rag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's cringy, and then she ends up ends up dying. He like kills her because his that gun was pointing at him and so he's just like body shield yeah he turns her head into and makes her get take the bullet <laughs> um but uh, there yeah. is a scene where felix and bond are in a helicopter looking for the warhead underwater 
and they encounter some sharks and Bond's like, shoot that shark to uh, get the attention of the rest of the sharks or whatever to, to distract the sharks. And he does. And they obviously during filming killed a shark cause there was no PETA or because you could see that that shark is dead now. <laughs> oh, jeez! And that they would not get away with that today. Oh no. But it's like, Oh, they obviously just murdered a shark. It's apparent that they don't have puppetry or any uh, CGI, CGI that could mimic so. that at this point in 60, whatever it is. Five. 65. It's like, you just killed a great white shark with on screen. <laughs> jeez. All right. Moving on. Uh, number 12 on our list. We have Spectre. That's how we pronounce that, right? Yes. Spectre. A cryptic message from the past sends James Bond, Daniel Craig, this time, on a rogue mission to Mexico City and eventually Rome, where he meets Lucia Sicara, played by Monica Bellucci, the beautiful and forbidden widow of an infamous criminal. Bond infiltrates a secret meeting and uncovers the existence of a sinister organization known as Spectre from the same movie? What? (laughs) Meanwhile... Back in London, Max Denby? Denby? Yeah, we'll go with that. Andrew Scott, the new head of the Center of National Security, questions Bond's actions and challenges the relevance of MI6, led by M, played by Ralph Fiennes. Bond covertly enlists Miss Miss Eve Moneypenny, Naomi Harris, and Q, Ben Winshaw, to help seek out the Dr. Madeline Swan, Le Cido, and the daughter of his old nemesis, Mr. White, Jesper Christensen who may hold the clue to untangling the web of Spectre. As the daughter of the assassin, she understands Bond in a way most others cannot. As Bond ventures towards the heart of Spectre, he learns a chilling connection between him and the enemy he seeks. The, related. The chilling connection is the part I don't like about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is I love. And then, oh, we're like stepbrothers or whatever bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Blofeld are related. Like... <laughs> So that was a bad part. Uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember reveals that Austin Powers and Blofeld, Doctor Evil, are brothers, and somehow they reverse parody that. <laughs> they and did. make them Bond bah- ah. and Blofeld brothers. Ah, I never thought. How of do that. you like fall into your own trap? <laughs> Christoph Waltz is amazing. Well, yeah, he's great. I would have ranked this higher if if that didn't happen and plus i don't like the i'm the author of all your pain like everything that you've experienced in the past four movies is all i've been doing that you just haven't met me until now i don't like like that rewriting of the previous movies right yeah because i mean javier was pretty strong Mm -hmm. in the previous film and um whatever that guy's name is casino (laughs) like la chief la chief yeah uh pretty strong characters it just it blows my mind that you can make that leap of a connection. It's almost like the, an emperor play from like star Wars where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's been me the entire time. And that makes sense in star mm-hmm. Wars. Uh, but it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't quite make sense here. Yeah. They probably would have revealed him earlier. Maybe it was their plan, but the court or whatever, the lawsuit didn't settle to where they could actually introduce Blofeld until this movie. So, they weren't able to introduce him until now, so maybe that's why. Pale? Uh, number 10. 11. 11. Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, Agent James Bond, 007 Pierce Brosnan, is on a mission which includes a media tycoon 
his former lover and a Chinese agent, Elliot Carver, Jonathan Price, wants to complete his global media empire, but in order for this to work, he must achieve broadcasting rights in China. Carver wants to start up World War III by starting a confrontation over British and Chinese waters. Bond gains the help of Wei Lin, Lin, played by Michelle Yeoh, on his quest to stop him. But how will Bond feel when he meets up with his former lover, Paris, played by Terry Hatcher, who is now Carver's wife? It was fun because she was like his... Uh, mole almost <laughs> yeah like when she first went there he's like give me information she's like but i can't and he's like but you know you want to and so she gives him information and then it's like there's a lot of people who died because you gave bond that information yeah uh this one had a cool motorcycle chasing that is the best scene in the movie yeah yeah uh other than that the fight at the end in that where uh, watery warehouse with the bomb yeah, with a bunch of submarines or something yeah is that that this movie <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and and then he ends up just fucking michelle yo on like a raft in middle of wreckage and he turns his this like responder thing off and everyone's like oh where is he <laughs> didn't that happen in like one of the sean connery movies too it always ended up with a woman on a boat so, yeah. yeah it's kind so, of like yeah, a nod. most of them in that yeah. way a boat or a raft or yeah something, something like a that. shuttle from space yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't the, the, just the plot of this one is what ruins it for me he he wants to start world war three so he gets better ratings for his 24-hour news network yeah. that's his whole plan <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a nice trope because uh, they use that in the uh, Sherlock Holmes when James Moriarty buys up all the guns and the the, the manufacturing for the bandages and yeah. everything, and he just needs a war so he can get paid. It's like he just needs a war so he can have more content on his TV channels. Mm-hmm. Get out of here! I like Jonathan Price though; he played a good job doing this villain. I thought that's yeah. why I, I ranked this one pretty villain, high. Villain, but he's also I don't know. Like seeing him in a fist fight with James Bond is not no yeah but no. <laughs> like you wouldn't it doesn't worry me. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> mastermind, we'll put it. Yeah, that way. he's a not mastermind. So much, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he needs a like a strong henchman, and I don't think he really ever had one. Ooh, they put it Jaws in this movie. That would have been yeah. Good. Recast Ooh. Jaws. I don't think he was alive. They should have. When when did? Talk about the shark Jaws, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We want to bring the sharks back. <laughs> yeah. Rekill a great white for this movie. I mean, he's in Happy Gilmore. I know. I was trying to think when Happy Gilmore came out. 94 or something. So yeah. he might be dead. I don't know. Number 10. Top from 10. Russia with love. James Bond 007 is on search for a Russian decoding machine known as Lector Bond. Needs to find the machine before Spectre does. While being romantically linked with Russian girl Tatiana Romanov, Rom- Romanova, Bond sneaks his way around Istanbul um, while Spectre agents try to pick him off, including the overpowering Red Grant, played by Robert Shaw, and ex-KGB agent Rosa Klebb, 
played by Loda Lenya, who knows all the tricks in the books and even possesses an incredible poison-tipped shoe. Ooh, sneaky. Really, the main thing I remember about this is, like, there's a big fight on the train between Sean Connery and Red Grant, and there's, like, Mm -hmm. it's, like, down and dirty. I don't even think there's any soundtrack playing. It's just them, like, punching each other, and it's really cool. The one thing about this one is the decoding machine that they go after. Uh, where uh, Tatiana has to like seduce him and then ends up falling in love with him. Yeah, as it happens. Yeah. Other than that, um, yeah, we. I mean, we kind of skipped through this one today just as like a reminder, and it just wasn't that powerful. You get an idea of Blowfield running the organization in this one. I don't mm-hmm. really think you see him, right? Yeah, it's one where you just see like the guy holding the cat and yeah, giving orders, but you never see him. So he's like, he threatens number three and he's like, you want to know what happens when you fail? And then she, he's like, shoots number two. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, damn. So, all right, cool, 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 cool. I'm very badly burned. (laughs) (laughs) Another Austin Powers. Yeah. Um, I do believe at the end there was one more assassin and it was the cleaning lady and she had a horrible death. It was, I don't, her death wasn't that bad. Her acting for her death was terrible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's the early 60s. What do you expect? Right. I know. All right. And continue with the top 10. We have number nine, The Quantum of Solace. Is there solace in revenge? James Bond and M, which is Judy Dench, sniff a shadowy international network of power and corruption reaping billions as bond pursues the agents of an assassination attempt on m all roads lead to dominic green uh matthew almorick a world-renowned developer of green technology green a nasty piece of shit (laughs) is intent on securing a barren area of bolivia in exchange for assisting a strongman stage a coup there. The CIA looks the other way, and only Bond will help, uh, with some help from a retired spy and from a mysterious beauty, Mm -hmm. stands in Green's way. M wonders if she can trust Bond or if vengeance uh, possesses him. Beyond that, can anyone draw to, or anyone drawn to Bond live to tell his tale? Fuck, that was hard to read. (laughs) um yeah so we had the beautiful uh Gemma Arterton Arterton she Mm -hmm. was Strawberry Fields oh right in this movie and she's considered one of the Bond girls and she absolutely fucking hates this movie (laughs) the actress yeah the actress hates this because of the the stereotype and the trope and I guess she did it for the money which you can't really blame her you know Plus this, the, uh, this this movie got rated pretty low among most people, but unfairly so, I think. And it, it it is the first Bond movie and only Bond movie to this point that picks up exactly at the end of the previous one. Mm-hmm. It, it, it if you watch them back to Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, it makes one mm-hmm. huge movie, and I I think it it's uh, perfect if you watch it like that. Uh, on its own, it doesn't hold up super well. 
Uh, but he's like going out getting vengeance for the person that just killed his the love of his life, Vesper. And uh, I like the uh, the bad guy's whole idea of uh, picking up all of the water and hoarding it and causing a drought. And now uh, everybody has to pay him millions of dollars for water. And that, that it's very fitting in these times when like global warming or climate change or whatever. And there's like a, a, a drought. So uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like that idea. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is also the best Felix. You don't, you know. Oh yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Next up, we have number one, Doctor No, but it's number eight on our list. James Bond, a British top agent. If you had, didn't know that already, um, he, he's on an exciting mission to solve the mysteries of a murder of fellow agents. The task sends him to Jamaica, where he joins the forces with Quarrel, John Kitzmiller, and a. Uh, Loyal CIA agent Felix Leiter, played by Jack Lord, while dodging tarantulas, fire-breathing dragons, <laughs> and a trio of assassins known as the Three Blind Mice, Bond meets up with the beautiful Honey Rider, played by Ursula Andrus, and goes face-to-face with the evil Dr. No, played by Joseph Wiseman. Yeah, takes place in what, Jamaica for most of it? Mm-hmm. Really the only notable thing about this, other than... How smoking hot honey rider was uh, in the movie. Um, there's like a underwater base. Oh right, that they get, they find, and then get captured and taken to, and then they meet and talk with this guy. And when I first watched it, it was after the you know watching all the other ones. I literally thought that Dr. No was supposed to be like a Blowfield character. Yeah. You got, mm-hmm. kind of get that vibe. That way. And plus you have Dr. Evil in your mind. So you think Dr. Evil, Dr. Yeah. No, but they're separate characters. Yeah. Uh, this one was ranked number two for me. I think it um, was pretty, uh, pretty tough to, uh, I guess, argue. I don't know. Like I didn't, I gave it a zero for music and it still got pretty good. Got number two overall. I think the Dr. No was pretty strong and all the supporting villains or whatever were pretty strong. Honey Rider was smoking in this one. Dumb as always, just like all the other, <laughs> you know, Bond girls. Uh, the cast was nothing to uh, fret at. But again, it's the first one. It was enjoyable to watch. Of course, it doesn't hold up because it's Sean Connery. Yeah. Uh, but it's it was still, I don't know, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, it gets credit for being the first, but it doesn't know what it is yet it's not until like goldfinger i think where they finally hit all of the points that they carry forward through the rest of the series so this one's kind of just like a miss for me but it only gets credit for being the first we have number seven of you to a kill James Bond has one more mission. Bond returns from his travels in the USSR with a computer chip, and it's capable of withstanding a nuclear electromagnetic pulse. The chip was created by Zorn Industries, and Bond heads off to investigate its owner, Max Zorn, played by Christopher Walken. (laughs) Zorn may only seem like an innocent... I'll stop. May only seem like an innocent (laughs) man, but is really planning (laughs) to set off an earthquake in San Andres which will wipe out all of Silicon Valley. As well as Zorin, Bond must tackle Mayday, 
Grace Jones, an equally menacing companion of Zorin while dragging Stacy Stutton, Sutton along for the ride. I forgot Christopher Walken was in this movie. I knew it was goofy oh, for you, some reason. You knew the blow you knew the blimp, but I knew forgot. the blimp, but no, I forgot. I'm I like, forgot there's something the else iconic it. in this movie. I'm like, what is it? It's Christopher Walken. I knew I knew that. I was gonna say it earlier, but I'm I'm waiting for you to discover it on your own. <laughs> yeah. This one I ranked pretty high and I thought I would be in the minority on that, but I'm glad that you all kind of agree that it is pretty entertaining <laughs> one of the few that i've seen so, yeah. top for, three or top third for all of its ridiculousness i think it is it, it's just a fun watch yeah it's hard to follow oh the plot makes zero sense uh so <laughs> max zorin has a monopoly on microchips so he's gonna flood silicon valley so that way people have to go to him to get microchips Microchips aren't made in Silicon Valley. All the people that use microchips are in Silicon Valley. So you're just killing all of the people that want your microchips when, yeah. when you flood that or destroy it. So y- 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 your plot doesn't make any sense. But I guess if you don't think about it, it's okay. So essentially, Bond saved his business. Well, he killed him. Well, yeah, but I mean. <laughs> yeah, but he can still, his business can go on and continue to sell microchips. All right, next on our list is number six, The World is Not Enough. James Bond, played by Pierce Brosnan, is back. An oil tycoon is murdered in MI6, and Bond is sent to protect his daughter. Reynard, played by Robert Carlyle, who has a bullet-lodged brain from a previous agent, is secretly planning the destruction of a pipeline. Bond gains a hand from... Research scientist Dr. Christmas Jones, <laughs> played by Denise Richards. I forgot about her. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> She's on one of the Housewives uh, shows. Yeah, yeah. She talks about being a Bond girl like all the time. Uh, of course, that's the only uh, thing she ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Besides Charlie Sheen. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. <gross>. And workout <laughs> videos. Yeah. Uh. Who witnesses the action which happens when Bond meets up with Renard. But Bond becomes suspicious about electricing, played by Sophie Marcou. Especially when Bond's boss, M, Judy Dench, goes missing. Bond must work quickly to prevent Renard from destroying Europe. Renard. I like this one for the misdirect where... You think Reynard is the bad guy, but it's actually Electric King is pulling all the strings mm-hmm. and manipulating him and Bond because you think she's just like a Bond girl, but she's actually the one controlling the whole situation. And she kidnaps M and almost gets away with everything until Bond somehow escapes from his death thing, yeah. <laughs> his death chair. Mm-hmm. And they did a video game of this one, too, on the 64, so I... Oh, and that one, and I know you do too. Uh, yeah, played this one quite a bit. It's not as good as. Oh no, 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 no! They tried, but it's like no. <laughs> I think it's a different developer. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. rare. Not rare. Mm-hmm. The only thing I remember about this one is like the high-speed bobsledding through the pipeline. Yeah, it's <laughs> really the only memorable part. And like Christmas comes early or some shit that Bond said. Cheesy line, yeah. <laughs> 
Need to do that. Um, all right, number five. Top five. Skyfall. Top five. Top five. five. We're almost there. Yeah, look at that. Skyfall, when James Bond, latest assignment, goes gravely wrong and the agents around the world are exposed. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> MI6 is attacked, forcing M, played by Judy Nench, to relocate the agency. These events cause her authority and position to be challenged by Gareth Mallory, which is Ralph Fiennes, who ends up being the M in a later film, the new chairman of the Intelligence and Security Committee. The MI6 now compromised from both sides, and inside and out. M is left with one ally she can trust, James Bond. 007 takes to the shadows, aided only by field agent Miss Eve Moneypenny which is Naomi Harris, following a trail to the mysterious Tiago Rodriguez, a.k.a. Raul Silva, which is Javier Bardem, whose lethal and hidden motives have yet to be revealed themselves. Yeah, it's at the end of the movie, they reveal themselves pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He essentially takes over the world just by computers. And he's got this weird, like, God complex about him. Mm-hmm. And his dye job sucks. <laughs> That's true. He's he's mad. His whole plan is he's mad at M because she burned him uh, and he wants revenge. So he gets kidnapped or uh, kidnapped, arrested by Bond on purpose so he can go to be closer to mm-hmm. M and then break out of that prison and then kill her rather than just like sneaking up and killing her. Right. <laughs> like, why do you have to? get kidnapped it's like a joker plan almost true i'm gonna get arrested in the dark night Uh, that way i can plant bombs and whatever else he yeah it was uh sad uh with uh judy dench in this one because she was you know forever bond because she started i think with uh pierce brosnan with golden eye and uh so to see her continue in that m role and she just yeah did a great job with that i remember i saw this one in theaters I'm pretty sure I took my mom with me on this one. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of a a neat scene to to see the end of Judy Dench there. I think they, they did that. They did her justice. They, yeah. It was good. It was good. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, st- I still don't really know who that guy was who was helping them in that old mansion that belonged to. Oh, so mm-hmm. you want to know something crazy. That was supposed to be played by Sean Connery. That's where Bonds go to retire. Oh. <laughs> but Sean Connery didn't want to come back, so they just made it like he's like the groundskeeper. And so Daniel Craig is Sean Connery. There, There's only one Bond. They kept with that lineage. But originally it was going to be, oh, all the 007s come here to retire at this house and Sean Connery was going to be oh, there. Oh, that would have been sweet. Mm. It would have been cool, but then it would have like it's, broke the whole yeah, timeline. Everything would have been screwed up. Multiverse. Multiverse. Doctor Strange. And then, <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know, I guess a running through the fields and then leading to her death was kind of interesting and weird, but. I like that whole Home Alone yeah. scene where they're like setting up traps, all the like broken light bulbs and shit to yeah. like fortify that house. That was pretty cool. This ranked pretty high for me. Yep. Uh, it's my second favorite movie. It's good. Same for me. Next up, we got a license to kill, which is number four. Um, James Bond. This is Timothy Dalton's last outing. 
in its most brutal mission yet. Bond's good friend Felix Leiter, played by David Hedison, he has returned from one of the Roger Moore movies, and is left near death by drug lord Baron Fran- Franz Sanchez, Sanchez, played by Robert Davi. Bond sets off on the hunt for Sanchez, but not everybody is happy. MI6 does not feel Sanchez is their problem and strips Bond of his license to kill, making Bond more dangerous than ever. Bond gains the aid of one of Leiter's friends known as Pam Bouvier, played by Carrie Lowell, and sneaks his way into the drug factories which Sanchez owns. Will Bond be able to keep his identity secret, or will Sanchez see Bond's true intentions? One word. Well, I guess name. Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> yeah, Benicio Del Toro. This is like one of his first movies, I think. He uh, seems like a, a young, like blood-hungry pup in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like Dario, but he's also dumb. He's got a cool death scene, too. Mm-hmm. Really, like, it's in that cocaine grinder or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. <laughs> now this movie's coming back. That's a good one. Yeah, I think I think both Timothy Dalton movies are pretty yeah. good. I wish he was stuck around longer, but then we probably wouldn't have had any Pierce. That's true. Yeah. Moving on, we have number three, Goldfinger. <laughs> James Bond, <laughs> Sir Sean Connery, is back, and his next mission takes him to Fort Knox, where Oric Goldfinger, played by Gert Frobe, Frobe, and his henchmen are planning to raid Fort Knox and obliterate the world economy. To save the world once again, Bond will need to become friends with Goldfinger, dodge killer hats, and avoid Goldfinger's personal pilot, the sexy pussy galore, Honor Blackman. Uh, she might not have feelings for Bond, but will 007 help her change her mind? Yeah, that's called rape. Rape, <laughs> you my dear. No, don't. You'll like it. Just shh. Just <laughs> shut your mouth. They call me Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Doctor doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, so this one has odd job in it. Like, this one has all of the tropes. Oh, yeah. We get the crazy bond lair we get bond like tied up with a laser at him but he somehow miraculously escapes we get the henchman that has like a weird weapon where he throws his hats uh we get bond car scene chase galore. yeah it's just yeah. everything you want from a bond movie starts it's here just I think. pussy galore and, all throughout this movie so <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the pilot says no but he still does it anyways and so exactly. then then she calls she tr- she uh is it becomes a traitor on goldfinger uh this yeah. is where he is cheating at playing games at the pool deck and bond spies on him and calls him out for it steals mm-hmm. his girl have s- you know, a good evening with her, and then he leaves, and then Goldfinger kills her by dunking her face in gold. Yep. And then there's like a 15-minute golf scene between Sean Connery and Goldfinger, which wouldn't be in today's movies, but it's just like them two bonding or whatever, getting to know each other, but that scene goes on entirely too long. Um, Yeah, but really, I think this is uh, probably Sean Connery's best movie. Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's why it's number three. Number two is Casino Royale. James Bond, Daniel Craig, goes on his first mission as a double O. Lachif, played by Mads Mikkelsen, is a banker to the world's terrorist. 
He is participating in a poker game at Montenegro where he must win back his money in order to stay safe amongst the terrorist market. The boss of MI6, known as M, played by Dame Judy Dench, sends... I almost said duty drench. <laughs> <laughs> There's a duty drench. Duty drench. Duty drench. <laughs> Sends Bond along with Vesper, played by Eva Green, to attend this game and prevent Lashif from winning. Bond, using the help from Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright, and Mathis, played by Giancarlo Giannini. And having Vesper pose as his partner enters the most important poker game of his life. Um, but if Bond defeats Lashif, will he and Vesper Lynn remain safe? No, as we because found out. She is has tra- other plans. She, she is a traitor. <laughs> I think one of my favorite scenes in here. Uh, I have two scenes that I mm, can talk about. First one, like he gets poisoned by the the drink that he orders from the bar. Mm-hmm. And then he like runs to his car, and, and he has to defibrillate, <laughs> whatever. That was scene was awkward, but the most memorable um, in that movie. And then at the end, when he's captured and being tortured by Mads and his crew, and yes. they're like like dick punching him, and he's just like, yeah, he starts let's, laughing. Let's go hit that dick. Yes, he's <laughs> like, what are you laughing about? He's like, I'm gonna die knowing that or something that you that I died. With you playing with my balls or something like that. Uh, this was, yeah. I mean, a, a memorable movie all throughout as it brought the franchise back to come back mm-hmm. to the origins of James Bond. Because um, I believe this was the first book that Broccoli wrote, if I remember uh, correctly. Fleming. Ian, Ian Fleming. Fleming. Sorry, yeah, Broccoli wrote. was the director. It was also the it was one of the first movies that he tried to do, but then stopped mm-hmm. and went with another one. I think I don't think it was the first one, but I know that it was on the docket for like the '60s, and then they scrapped it, and then they brought it back for. They did a, like a made-for-TV mm-hmm. version uh, of it yeah. back in the '60s, and it I think it had an American actor in it, and it didn't go over so well. Yeah. But <clears throat> uh, I remember watching this movie. When it came out, because we were, I was super pumped for it uh, coming back. So I was in the theater with all Me my too. family and Thanksgiving weekend. I remember when it came out, oh, wow. and we sat in the front row for this movie because the movie theater was sold out. So I remember watching it, staring up the entire time. But I loved it. Mm. The only thing it was disappointing because you expected Bond and you wanted that Bond theme, and I'm like, you went through the whole damn movie because. Bond wasn't Bond, I guess, yet yeah. until you got to the ending scene where he shoots the guy and then comes up and yes. you get the where he and says the icon. Bad. Yes. And I'm like, lost it at that point. So I'm like, I was so pumped. But I kind of like that. I, this is my number one. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, and I like that they, they build up the whole movie and then they finally give you that release yeah. at the end. And it's like, oh, now we've got Bond and uh, I cannot wait for the next one. Uh, I think that's what people were dip- disappointed by the next one because it didn't start with Bond being Bond. It kind of was just a continuation of this movie. So I understand the, the negativity yeah. there. Uh, but I think r- the way that they reintroduce Bond, they, they reboot this franchise, I think they did it perfectly. Um, the only gripe I can even entertain is that there's a lot of poker playing. Like there's a lot of just card yeah. playing 
and the fact that he wins with like a royal flush which is a one in a billion hand and he just somehow gets it it's not like him cheating or sneaking it's just he got lucky in one that is kind of ridiculous but yeah uh and he won with the best hand that you could possibly have. <laughs> I did like the the whole love thing. Like, he found someone that he loves, mm-hmm. and that was taken from him. And it kind of turns him into, in my mind, it's like, oh, this is why he's so much of a womanizer, yeah. because he'll never love again. It makes sense so of it's him. just like, yeah. I lost the one true love of my life. So it's like, how they kind of tied all that together. It, it paid great homage, I think, to everything. Mm-hmm throughout the Bond series, to reinvent it, at least. To not be so creepy and cliche. And to do the opening gun barrel scene as, like, an action scene where, like, it goes straight into the gun barrel to the theme song as part of the whole, like, black and white scene that we're Mm -hmm. watching. I don't know. I think it's... It's good. Like, perfect. You could tell it was uh, updated, too. Like, for... You could tell, like, when there's, like, a cut in, like, cinema where you had your old style of action mm-hmm. film to your now kind of action-y, but more of like a suspenseful story arc action film. And you can you can pretty much tell the difference between the last film of Pierce and this film. I just think it's awesome. Yeah, you can tell like Jason Bourne was popular because it kind of does a lot of that. There's a lot of parkour. There's parkour, a lot of yeah. like shaky camera. So it... Mind, it, mind games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, who wants to take number one? This is my favorite of all time. This is what started it all for me. Number one is Goldeneye. When a deadly satellite weapon fall- system falls into the wrong hands, only Agent Bond, James Bond 007, played by Pierce Brosnan, can <laughs> save the world from certain disaster. Of course, who else? Armed with his license to kill, Bond races to Russia in search of the stolen access codes for Goldeneye, an awesome space weapon that can fire a devastating electromagnetic pulse toward the Earth. But 007 is up against an enemy who anticipates his every move, a mastermind motivated by years of simmering hatred. Bond also squares off against Xenia on the top, played by Fumke Jensen, an assassin who uses pleasure as her ultimate weapon. And I just realized why her name is on top. My God, yeah. I just got this after <laughs> what, so many you just years. Yes. <laughs> the entendre yes. there. Uh, but anyway, this is... She crushes people with yes, her Yes, this is such a good movie because of the video game, yeah, too. Yeah, it's great. I love that movie. Uh, oh, Jean Grey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got Storm and Jean Grey? Oh, yeah, we do. So many X-Men. I think this was number one for me because Alec uh, Trevelyan. Trevelyan. Or Sean Bean. Sheen Bean. Bean. Sheen Bean. Like he dies in like the first five minutes of the movie, yes. and I was like, "That's not the end of it. He's not the top build actor to die in the first five minutes. Yeah. Not like you know Game of Thrones, where he fucking uh, where the main guy dies in the first fucking season. Yeah, yeah, he was he was so great in this. Just the iconic the line at the end for England, James. No, for me. Call back to yeah, the first. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it was a t- toss up like between this and Casino Royale and Skyfall. I think all three of those are really great movies. Yeah. This was my, f- I think maybe all of our first Bond movies. I don't know, except for Pale. I don't know. He, I'm not sure if he's still listening. <laughs> he, he's fighting sleep over here. <laughs> I feel bad. I'm like, <laughs> no, this was not my. I mean, I don't. I never saw this when it came out. I didn't. I didn't either. <laughs> 
I didn't watch I, it when it came out. I watched it after I played the video game. I watched it after yeah, I played I'm, the video game. I'm pretty sure well, I did too, but, but I, I don't remember. I played the video game a, <laughs> a lot, but I never watched the movie. I just didn't like yeah. care enough, I guess, at the time. I did like the video game like a lot though. Well, maybe, I think Perfect Dark was the better version of the game. Uh, yeah, I, I think so too. I agree with you there. See, I never played Perfect Dark. Oh. Because it ruined it Bricker would and I ruin Yeah, Bricker got me on that. <laughs> but uh, uh, Boris by far is my favorite. I'm invincible. Oh, Can't yes. forget about Boris. <laughs> oh shit, Nightcrawler! Exactly. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody X. Oh gosh. But yeah, the little pen scene being frozen. Yeah, where he's like flipping it around and keeps clicking it. Yeah, there's so many iconic moments in this. So I'm not mad that this is number one. I I I only didn't put it number one is. Because I didn't want to be biased because it was the first one I saw. Yeah. That I didn't want to give it like extra credit just because, oh, I started here, so this is the best one. Because I mean, like, I don't think people that have been watching Bond from the beginning wouldn't put this as number one. I'm sure they wouldn't. But I still think it's a great movie. It's so good for me that um, I think for my birthday, I think my dad got it for me. I have an actual movie poster that they will put in the um, thing outside that the light can shine through. So it's like reversible. Yeah, reversible. I have that hanging up. I had it in my bedroom at my parents' house. Now I have it hanging in the closet where you can't see it. I need to pull that out and display it. That's what I forgot to get out. I'll just use that the next time we record as my entire backdrop. Yeah. <laughs> it's my prized possession. All right. That'll, that'll do it. Uh, let us know, people listening, what your favorite Bond movie is. On our social media at Drink and Geek Out on Instagram or Twitter, that would be nice. I'd love to hear it. Please. Uh, before we conclude, favorite bonds. Let's go. Favorite actor. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. The favorite bond. Yeah. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Man, that's just close. Pale you go. <laughs> Me go. Oh. And get you involved in this podcast, Roger Moore. Yeah, it's pro- it's probably a toss. I probably would lean to Roger Moore. It's probably between Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan. But I'll go Roger Moore. I mean, I think he was most like swaggest Bond ever. <laughs> the swaggiest yeah. old fart ever. <laughs> he was like when Grandpa. I think of Bond, I think of Roger Moore. Yeah, like hands just, down, That's just fair. for yeah. longevity. He, yeah. I love Roger Moore as like the Bond doing spy yeah. stuff, but just action fight scenes with him are. Uh, yeah, they're not. It's not his best. Not it's just like him chopping people. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's all he, he does. doesn't know. Yeah, like martial arts, like at all. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, I'll probably just stick with my first, and that would be Pierce. So, but Pierce, like at the beginning, because it just all went down. Yeah, because so he goes. It wasn't that good towards the end there, because he was getting old too. But then that, for sure, Daniel Pierce, Craig, because but... just the whole the way they reinvented it and made this. All the movies are connected and not just mm-hmm. separate stories. So. Yeah, I would go with Pierce, but he's got some stinkers. Yeah. And Daniel Craig really doesn't have any stinkers. That's a good point. Yeah, that's very true. All right. So until next time. Drink, drink up, up. Drink up. And geek, and geek out. Geek on out. Shaken, not stirred. Digo will return. <laughs>